0: Everyone and welcome into On to Waveland Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Michael Beller I am joined by our Cubs beat writers, Patrick Mooney and Zahadev Sharma. Guys, it is uh, Saturday, October 3rd. It is one day after the end of the Cubs 2020 season. I almost feel like, I mean, you guys know the intro music for this. I wish we had like a somber version of it after what we saw go down at Wrigley Field this week, too on brand unfortunately but just dreadful offensive performances from the Cubs in these two games it's what we've come to expect from this offense as things turn to the postseason and really as it was all regular season here this year so we're gonna try to keep this episode focused on the postseason failures we'll still have a couple more episodes for you next week and you know into uh, into October and you know maybe some as the offseason goes on but uh, so we'll get to a real 2020 postmortem and a look ahead to what lies in in the Cubs' future, because it's a a little uncertain. But for this episode, we're going to stay mostly focused on uh, what happened in this series with the Marlins. The Cubs falling two two nothing, scoring one run in the two games combined. Uh, Sahadev, I'll throw it to you first. You've been the one who's been on this Cubs offense for the entire season. I can't say that you were probably surprised by what you saw in these two games.
1: No, this was the appropriate ending for this season, I guess. You know, anything else would have been a little surprising or, you know, one of those postseason like, ooh, weird things are happening in the postseason because that's what happens in October. But this team just wasn't ever right offensively, particularly this season. I've written so much about it in so many different ways uh, it was different this season. There's no doubt about that. It, I mean, it's a sixty-game season, so I think Rizzo kind of put it best when he said, "We could, who knows what would have happened in a hundred and sixty-two-game season." But they can't dwell on that. They're not going to say like, "Oh, it all would have been different. Uh, we would have the second half would have meant we got hot, and guys would have figured it out. Guys wouldn't have been pressing." None of that really matters. Uh, ultimately, this is what they were for this season. Uh, just not a very good offense. They're superstars. We're never superstars this year. Not for an extended period of time. Uh, <laughs> Hobby said, you know, we didn't get hot. It wasn't even – they didn't do anything this last these last two games. It wasn't about being hot. It was about a complete inability to produce any runs outside of a line drive that – you know, barely left the park off Ian Happ's bat. What kind of was remarkable was this series was a microcosm of the season, right? Who who were the two guys to actually have more than one hit uh, over the course of those two games? It was Jason Hayward and Ian Happ. The rest of uh, I think uh, it was one for twenty-eight with Schwarber, uh, Schwarber, Javi, Bryant, and Rizzo. One for twenty-eight, I believe, was the number. I may be off uh, exactly, but Schwarber had a few walks. So, uh, Bravo to him I guess but <laughs> Javi had a single early on in game one I want to say that's it nothing else from that group uh the one run they had yes should have had yesterday was cut off at the plate maybe not should have could have had it, it was just an overall ugly performance but I, I as offensively but it would have it wouldn't have made any sense if they lost that game nine to eight right mm-hmm. this is how it w- should have ended in my mind uh, outside of a you know a, it all coming together, and them making a crazy run in the playoffs. This is this is just how this season was. The pitching couldn't carry them through uh, the postseason uh, like they did for much of the regular season. So that that's that's just it.
2: Yeah, at a certain point, and they've said this. You know, every team has to deal with this. So this idea of no fans or no in-game video or pressing because your numbers aren't good I mean that's literally every single other player in Major League Baseball this year and they're going to have to be judged within that context and you know at least I don't get to watch a a lot of other games you know that much but kind of during the playoffs here being able to kind of surf around a little bit and you know seeing the reactions on Twitter like it seemed like the Padres were hitting a home run every other time I refreshed mm-hmm. Twitter or if I changed the channel from the Yankee game and then turned back, like they had just hit like a grand slam. And like this, that was the type of offense, this group was supposed to develop into. And this idea of a sustained consistent attack just hasn't happened. And we're not talking about two games against the Marlins. We're not talking about a 60 game season, I mean, Sahade has been writing about this for years, and I couldn't believe this. I mean, I looked it up. Since 2018, 385 regular season games, the offense scored three runs or fewer 163 times, which is like 42% Jeez. of their schedule. So, like, what you were seeing, it wasn't just in your head. It wasn't just kind of uh, cherry-picking stats. Like, this happened over and over and over again, and we'll get into next week where they go from here, but – I mean, this just isn't working.
0: They showed a stat during the ESPN broadcast. I want to say it was during Chris Bryant's last plate appearance. And it was um, a combined stat line for KB, Rizzo, and Javi since the World Series in the postseason. And at that point, with Bryant at the plate, those three guys, 2017 postseason up until then, have been combined 19 for 148 in the postseason, and that's just crazy. And then Bryant made an out in that plate appearance. Javi got one more plate appearance in the game. He made an out, and I think that was it. So uh, it's something right in there. So we'll call it 19 for 142. And when you get that out of nominally your three best hitters – I mean, they, you know, any team, no no team could do that. You could take, take the Padres, right, for example. If they go forward and uh, Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado and Tommy Pham go 19 for 142 over the span of the next four postseasons, as much talent as that team has, they're not going to win a ton of games. And I, I think that's really where this has to start, right, guys? Well, I remember
1: writing, it must have been game one of the NLDS in 2017, and I said, this is how the Cubs win again, writing their stars. Because I think Rizzo and Bryant had good games uh, in that first game of the series. Maybe it was game one, maybe it was game two. I don't remember uh, the history on it. But I don't think they showed up again in that postseason. I think uh, Rizzo had the blue pit, uh, the respect me blue pit. I I don't remember which game that was. and, and, three, and after the, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it may have been Game Three, but uh, either way, it they didn't really show up. They haven't shown up. I don't want to. It's you know, I, I don't want to criticize them as, and say that they're not, uh, they don't have the ability to step up in the postseason. Uh, because we've seen them both do that. Uh, we've seen all of them have stretches where they can carry a team in the postseason. I mean, I know people want to criticize Bryant for not being clutch or whatever, but he's the reason that the offense woke back up in 2016 against uh, Cleveland. So there we've seen them do it but not I guess it's just uh, it's time to forget about 2016 in a sense like the, we we can't compare this group to the 2016 group in a sense and expect that to be repeated. Uh you talk about Cleveland, I mean not Cleveland at San Diego hitting home runs all the time. You talk about the, the Yankees hitting grand slams. I mean this was that's what this group was supposed to be, right? 2015, remember the home runs against the Cardinals, all those kids hitting home runs, uh, and, and how exciting that was. And it was like, this is the future. They're going to slug and slug a lot. Uh, this wasn't supposed to be the contact-oriented group everybody's pining for, right? So they couldn't even do – they're not even doing what they were supposed to, slug, and that's what – to me that's the most confounding aspect of this all of all of this is they just never developed into the sluggers the dominant home run hitting force that everyone uh really believed and we saw for a little while it just went away so quickly and it's it, i don't know where they go from here and we can we'll we'll dive into that uh, next week but it's just it's kind of remarkable to me just how far it fell and, and I don't and I don't know what to take away from a 60 game season exactly, but it is just you look at all the numbers and you try and and like, you try and kind of soak it in and it's just like this this isn't how it was supposed to go. It just doesn't make sense at times, but then you know baseball is does that to you and, and I guess we just have to say maybe this is what they, some of them to an extent, this is what they are.
2: Yeah, and I think it's there has been as we kind of write these end of an era obituary stuff like that. I think there is sometimes a feeling on social media like, oh, who cares? They just won one, you know. They they're not that good. It's like that was a a global event. They played under enormous pressure and, and delivered. And uh, you know, I don't want to make it seem like we're piling on because these are guys with great resumes who've represented the team really well from a media perspective they've been great to deal with I'd imagine from a fan's perspective I mean the Cubs have been one of the most exciting teams in baseball one of the just filled with these big names so much drama you know Wrigley Field as as the backdrop like I don't think any of that should be taken for granted but Within the organization, there are these nagging feelings of like they left something on the table and frustrations with the hows and whys of you know, why it didn't come together and trying to piece that together. I think this the autopsy of, of this era is going to be really, really interesting. We haven't found like one, you know, single answer yet. I think it's really, really complicated. Um and kind of the one thing The Cubs haven't said yet is like, you know, maybe we just weren't good enough. And I don't think they've really come around to that yet. But I do think clearly there's been kind of an overestimation of kind of what um, the Cubs, you know, could have become. And they'll always have 2016. This has been the greatest show in in franchise history and all of that. But um, still, I think it's going to be a really, really long offseason for everyone involved uh, in the team.
0: Yeah, you know, I think when you start to try to take things away from this season, you look at a team that if we throw these two playoff games into the mix through 62 games, through just about – what a, a little more than a third of the season uh, was 34 and 28. A fine team, uh, not a good team. A team that you know we wouldn't have been penciling into the playoffs through uh, 62 games by any stretch of the imagination. A team that was in the bottom third in the majors and weighted runs created and woba and slugging fourth in the majors and strikeout rate. I mean, a very flawed team that was carried for a large part of the season uh, by the by the top two guys in the rotation, and you sort of have to start from that point and go forward uh, from there. So, like we said a few times, we'll get into the uh, real post-mortem on this team and potentially this era of Cubs baseball next season and where things go from here for 2021. But I uh, just want to get you know, one last thought from each of you on what this playoff series was with the Marlins. Maybe try to draw anyone but the Marlins the next time they get in the postseason, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, we didn't. I guess uh, I, I did look up at the at the screen uh, one time and, and see some uh, some 2003 yeah. uh, tidbits shown. So, uh, of course, they got to throw that pain out there for the Cubs fans. Uh, I mean, yeah, this was the end of, of something. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how much they can change this group. But this this does feel like the last playoff appearance for this group. Right. I think uh it's going to be. It's going to take a a, a significant tweaking, in my estimation, for twenty twenty one to be a play. A, a one more playoff run for some of these guys, if whoever remains. So, uh, it's a it's a kind of a a sad way for this group to go out. Uh, a team built upon offense that actually, as much criticism as they get, for their inability to develop pitching. It wasn't the pitching that ever really sunk this team. You know, you could call it the high leverage relief last year, uh, but the pinch- pitching wasn't the reason this team has gone out with a whimper each and every year uh, the last few seasons. It's it's been the offense, and uh, I I think you'll what Patrick said about leaving something on the table. I think that nagging feeling will exist for a while for this group that, uh, as much as as great and as significant as 2016 was they just never fully actualized into the powerhouse that they were supposed to be that everyone expected so uh it's a weird way to go out against a team that you know nobody everybody written wrote off at the beginning of the season right and uh they wear shirts that say bottom feeders and 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 now they're they're smoking cigars on uh, uh, you know Wrigley Field celebrating a sweep of the Cubs and and kind of an end of an era here
2: yeah I think th- this is the group that forever changed the expectations uh, at Wrigley Field uh, seeing the Marlins certainly brought back some memories for Cubs fans and this is the group that uh you know kind of Uh, created this demand and expectation for October baseball every year and, and, and they delivered. And I would say one other thing kind of before we, you know, kind of wrap this up, I do think the Cubs, uh, including the players, coaches, the Wrigley field workers, Theo's front office, really took COVID-19 seriously. And, um, I think that's part of, uh, the legacy from this season that uh, a group that really, did come together, uh, that made a lot of sacrifices that, you know, kind of worked with their families to keep each other safe, uh, zero confirmed, uh, positive tests among the player group since late June. Uh, it's kind of amazing, especially when there were a lot of points where we weren't sure if this would, um, actually happen or not. Uh, I think there's a chance they could go back to playoffs next year. They might be kind of stuck with this roster, but I just think the aura of the Cubs, this idea of the Cubs as a an unstoppable force, um, uh, a business with unlimited potential, I think just all of that uh, is over now, and they're going to have to kind of build something new.
0: All right, guys. Well, that's where we're going to leave it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Unfortunately, we are here on this Saturday talking about the end of a Cubs season rather than an NLDS series with the Braves. We will still be with you on On Waveland again. Uh, we'll have at least two more shows next week, and then we'll still be doing shows throughout the offseason. So uh, don't turn us off just yet. We'll be with you. We'll have two more episodes, like I said, next week, looking back at 2020, back at this Cubs era, potentially the end of it, and ahead to what is going to come and what is going to be a very interesting offseason. So thanks again for listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your cubs Cubsless weekend. And uh, Michael Beller, Patrick Sch- uh, Patrick Mooney, side of Sharma, and hey, Brett Taylor. We'll all be back with you next week, right here on Onto Waveland.